Humanity was irredeemable, corrupt beyond saving. The earth was to be wiped clean in a cataclysm for the ages, with no traces of human wickedness left behind to pollute it. These were the judgments of Zeus and the other gods who were now sitting in council in the high peak of Mount Olympus, where a solemn hush had settled. For the sins of the Arcadian king Lycaon, who had violated all laws of gods and men, and even attempted violence against Zeus himself, the Olympians knew that the world was at a crossroads. The rule of cosmic justice had to be upheld, and the human race was to be no more, evil as it had become. And so they sat resigned to their task. All they needed now was a plan. How was all humanity going to die? Zeus sat back in his golden throne and listened for ideas. Little by little, voices emerged from the host of deities in the council chamber. Thinking through the situation, some began backing away from the prospect of total destruction. Some approached it with a fair helping of self-interest. Hear us out, fellow gods and goddesses, they said. What are humans good for? What do we get from them that we couldn't do without? Sacrifices. If we get rid of all the humans, as terrible as they are, who's going to send up that sweet savor of roasting meat? Let's not go overboard. Maybe we could make our point. Just do something big and scary enough to do that. But leave a few alive down there, just for our sakes? This was a fair point, and the other gods grumbled with moderate acceptance. But nobody came out in support, not without a lead from Zeus. And noticing this, the king of the gods realized it was time for him to say something. He let out a sigh. Gods and goddesses, I accept your concerns, and am well aware of that already. So let me be completely clear. I will see to every provision for us, so that we immortals will lack not a thing in the days to come. Our mission is to crush the evil of humanity. But we're not doing this to doom the whole earth forever. What are we going to rule over then? Who's going to sacrifice to us and burn our incense and send up their prayers? And are we just going to abandon our brothers and sisters who don't live up here with us in the sky? All those nymphs and sprites and spirits? No, no, no. We're stopping the course of things and setting it right. Here's what I'd like to see. A new humanity. More just and more devoted to us than anything that came before. We will demolish the evil that exists and raise up something far better in its place. How does that sit with you, fellow Olympians? With these words, everyone's fears were calmed, and there was full consensus behind the will of Zeus. So what remained now was the matter of how to end the world. Of course, there was Zeus himself. His lightning was more than powerful enough to set the whole world ablaze. But he rejected the idea and laid his lightning bolts aside. What if the fire rose up too high and threatened their homes in the sky? The gods shook their heads. No one wanted to deal with that issue. Zeus was right. 
Eventually, they hit upon the answer. Instead of fire, water would be their weapon. It was to be a joint effort by Zeus and Poseidon, the one brother operating the skies to gather the darkest clouds and send driving rains, and the other one marshalling the seas to drown the dry land. It was decided the human race would perish beneath the waves. The council broke apart at once, and Olympus was a flurry of activity as the gods took their places to help the effort, or to watch it all unfold from a safe distance. So Zeus and Poseidon set to work, and this is how the flood was made. Zeus started by trapping all the winds that swirled around the world, every one except for the wind that brought on storms. Once the deluge began, there wouldn't be any current to drive it off course. And he locked up all the winds in the whistling mountain caves of King Eulus, whose duty it was to keep the unruly bunch in line. Zeus roused the old storm wind, riling him up to create the greatest, fiercest, longest-lasting storm of all time. Unleashed on the world, the storm wind flew headlong over the seas, shrouded in dark mists, his trailing beard and gray hair dripping wet, his feathery cloak soaked with dew. With his giant arms outstretched, he clutched the storm clouds all over the sky in his fingers, pushed them around, and mashed them together. And then, with a resounding crack, he broke them all open, letting loose buckets of water from each one, which drained over the open land below in thick streams. Flitting through the stormy air, Hera's assistant Iris, the rainbow goddess, carried the fallen rains back up into the clouds so the stores of floodwaters never ran dry. The earth was already reeling from the endless onslaught of rain. Fields were flooded and crops were crumpling and dying in the rising tides while farmers looked on in despair, sheltering in their homes. But even the full might of the skies, by itself, wasn't enough to fulfill Zeus's plan. Poseidon held a meeting with river gods the world over, the spirits who guided and governed the Earth's waters, and he commanded them at once to swell their banks, break down their dams, and flood their springs. And they followed Poseidon's orders with devastating power, letting the rivers run wild over the dry land and join the rains from the sky. And combined, they swept away entire cities as they rushed headlong to the ocean. Poseidon himself strode over the face of the earth, towering into the sky, and lifted his trident high, then smashed it down, piercing the ground and releasing even more streams of hidden water from below. Not only mortals and their homes and their belongings, but even the sacred shrines of the gods vanished under the waves, and the roofs of the highest temples disappeared into the rising sea. There were no shores anymore that separated the water from the dry land. The whole of the earth was all one vast, endless ocean. And still the rains kept pounding down. Visions of nature turned upside down were everywhere to be seen, things impossible to comprehend. While some humans fled to mountain peaks to escape the waters, others huddled together in boats. A farmer rode over the fields he had just plowed the week before. 
Another family's boat glided over the top of their own house. Another man, trying to catch some food, dangled his fishing pole as he straddled the top of a tree. Anchors were dropped into forest meadows. Shambling goats were replaced by seals. The daughters of the sea lord Nereus were astonished to see woods and houses and whole towns under the sea with them. Dolphins were caught up in the trees. Wolves and sheep, tigers and lions, boars and deer were swept along in the floodwaters. Circling birds had no place to land. By now, the hills were overtaken, and the mountain tops were being lapped by waves. The dry land was wiped clean. Whatever survived the flood would not survive the hunger to follow. And over this global devastation, from a ledge of heavenly Olympus, Zeus looked down with stern satisfaction, his design complete. The world would start over. The evils of the human race were drowned in the waves. But as he gazed from his golden peaks, something unique caught his far-seeing eye. Two mortals on the surface of the waters, perhaps the only two left of their kind, huddled together in the last rowboat. They were battered by the merciless rains, drenched but locked in a tight embrace, devoted to each other until the end, and still clinging to hope. Zeus recognized these two. He knew who they were. And in this instant, as he marveled at them, his plan for the renewal of the earth began.